Your money is your vote. Even if you know it or not, if you hold a certain currency or you spend a currency in your daily life, you're giving that currency your approval. It's just with Bitcoin, you have the option to not spend it if you don't want to. You can opt out of it and go on about your way. Welcome to Star of the Doubts. I'm your host, Jared Easley. Today, we're hanging out with Ash Whitener from LibertyEntrepreneurs.com. Did I say that correctly? That is right. LibertyEntrepreneurs.com. He's also got a podcast, Liberty Entrepreneurs Podcast, just celebrating 50 episodes. 50 episodes. I've been there. I know what that's like. That's not easy. So let's just talk about not easy, man. What's something in your life that wasn't easy aside from podcasts? Oh, man. I would say figuring out what I'm passionate about and being able to make that happen. You know, I've worked as an engineer Mm. for years and years and it just wasn't fulfilling for me. And I would say that until I found entrepreneurship and cryptocurrencies and podcasting, I wasn't nearly as passionate of a person as I am right now. You know, there's some parents out there who'd be like, okay, you got to go to college. You got to get a good degree. Engineering's a safe a safe way to go. Very safe. And you got involved, whether that was the advice you received or not, you got into that and then you realized, ah, oh, man, my heart's not here. Yep. Man, what was that like? Man, it was tough. You know, it was tough. And I just knew that my parents were a bit disappointed, you know, because I worked so hard and we paid so much money to get these engineering degrees and I was doing a great job. And then all of a sudden I had a complete career change and I went into finance and, you know, I, it was just a, a 180 from where I was. Nobody understood. Why would you give up an engineering career that you've been doing for seven years and you work for four and a half years in college to get these degrees? No kidding. And you know, it's just, it's a passion thing. If you're not living purposefully and passionately, then uh, life seems unfulfilling at times. So at what point were you did you just wake up and say, man, it, I, all right, this is it. I'm, I'm changing. Yeah. It was a slow process actually. Okay. Let's hear about that. Yeah. So I was working as an engineer at a company in Raleigh, North Carolina. And in my free time, I was constantly reading about economics Yep. and I couldn't get enough of it and how economics was just essential into personal freedom. Mm. And so over time I I was listening to podcasts, a guy named Peter Schiff. And eventually, you know, he was starting a new bank in the Caribbean and he was like, Hey, I want some guys that are energetic. You know, you don't have to have a finance background, but you got to have a good work ethic. And I knew I did. And I just made the jump. Wow. Wasn't that at some point you were just like, man, that's a little scary. There's a lot of what ifs. So how did you navigate that? Yeah. And even what was more scary is I moved and sold all my stuff from Raleigh, North Carolina and moved to Barbados. To a place you probably, I'm guessing, I'd, never been? I'd never been there before. So, so now I'm a, basically an immigrant in another country <laughs> trying to get on my feet working for a bank. But it was. So yeah, if this didn't work, this could be ugly. Yeah, right? it's like if this doesn't work, I guess I got to pack back up and try to find another engineering job and explain myself why mm, I quit my current one. Mm. But, you know, I, I didn't look back. When you're passionate about something, you're going to be able to work really hard in it. And you know you're working for a purpose. And that's what I did. Man, well said. So how did that go? What was Barbados like? It was wild. I mean, the ironic. Can I tell a little story? Please do. Yeah. So I was in Barbados for three weeks. And, you know, anyone that hasn't done extensive travel outside the United States may not understand the visa system. You sure. Know, gotta, I, I, I don't claim to know that. You got to yeah. go to a country. You know, you, you get a tourist visa for maybe a couple of weeks or a month. And then you have to present yourself to the government and get approved for a visa extension. Well, they thought I was young. I was white. They thought I was a drug dealer. Oh, no. <laughs> and so that they, they didn't extend my visa. You, you fit all the criteria. I, I, mean, I don't look like a drug dealer. I don't know what a drug dealer Anyways, uh, Who knows? And so they, they kicked me out of the country. Oh, wow. They kicked me out of Barbados with a misunderstanding. 
and I moved to St. Vincent next door. Fair enough. And, and so this was three weeks after I moved. And it, I was like, wow, now this is a wrench. If I can get past this, I can do anything. No kidding. So what happened from there? How did you navigate that? Yeah, so I went to the country next door, St. Vincent, and I just kept my head down. You know, I was working 15 hours a day and just putting in putting in a lot of work and just finding my passion. Wherever I had energy, I applied that energy to try to build wealth for myself. So two questions. Number one, did you enjoy that 15-hour days? Or, or, and also, were you lonely? Because this is a new place. You know, it's not your comfort zone. Yeah, I was definitely lonely. You know, I had severe bouts of depression that I had to work through myself. Wow. You know, there I didn't have a network of people. I had no community there. Nobody wanted to talk to me either because I was, everyone thought, all the St. Vincent people thought I was an FBI agent. <laughs> right, so nobody wanted to talk to me. Oh no! But luckily, you know, you, with the internet now, we have voluntary digital communities that we can reach out, and we don't have to have communities with our within our vicinity. So it was really tough, but eventually, I moved to Panama, where it's a lot more open and accepting to different cultures. So, so let's talk about the transition from St. Vincent to Panama. What what was the neat, like? Why did you have to do that? And then what was that like? Yeah, so I wanted to live in a place that the market was a little bit more mature. You know, I wanted, I wanted nice restaurants. I wanted to have okay. nice views. I wanted to live in a nice place and I wanted to be able to network with people. I, after about a year in St. Vincent, a, a better dating pool too. I, yeah, would exactly, right? <laughs> I mean, there's just so much more to offer in yeah. Panama. If your listeners haven't seen a picture of Panama city, Panama, it looks like Miami. Yeah. I've heard it's beautiful. Yeah. It is beautiful. So yeah, that's it. I, now I'm back in the States. I live in Denver, Colorado. And I started a podcast, which is my true passion about Liberty Entrepreneurs. Basically, my theme is how can entrepreneurship and becoming an entrepreneur provide individual freedom in your life? How is being an entrepreneur and having taking that control and that responsibility over every aspect of your life, can that and does that provide individual freedom? And my hypothesis is that it does. Okay, so Denver, why Denver? And I mean, you're North Carolina, right? That's so, right. So what said? What made you say, okay, I'm going to go Colorado? Yeah, so I grew up on the East Coast my sure. whole life. Raleigh, North Carolina is where I call home. But I like Denver because the government there seemed to be very libertarian, and they seemed to be very open to new ideas. I mean, not only is marijuana- Like selling legal, mar- marijuana. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't even smoke marijuana. Well, but, fair enough. But the idea that the government there is progressive enough to legalize something like marijuana- For me, it felt like a very freeing type of government. Like I had a higher probability of experiencing as much governmental freedom as I could moving to a place like Denver in Colorado. Wow. Okay. And of course, you'd mentioned that you started this new adventure. And so I want to hear the transition from this banking world to this. What made you say, okay, I'm going to now go in this direction? So back in 2012, I learned about Bitcoin. Okay. And about cryptocurrencies. And having spent years in the offshore banking world, I saw how difficult it was for people, just regular people, regular business people, small, medium-sized businesses to transfer money around the world and all the restrictions and the unnecessary compliance and all the ridiculous documents that we were asking for to just let people do business, right? I mean, I was an impediment to their business. And when I learned about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, it basically took the middleman out of the equation. We could do peer-to-peer transactions now. I could send you money. I may just send you some Bitcoin right now, but I can send- <laughs> Whether you do or not, thank you. <laughs> you know, I can do, it's, peer, it's a peer-to-peer money. Mm-hmm. And for me, that type of peer-to-peer monetary system was very freeing because now reducing the number of dependencies that I have, yeah. right, is a good thing. If you're less dependent on things, then you're going to feel more individually free. And for me, cryptocurrencies 
was not only did I appreciate it from my technological background, my engineering background, you know, the blockchain and how it's an immutable global ledger that anyone can access. You don't have to get permission to access it. But on the financial side, how it's also a money that isn't a top-down money, but it's a grassroots money. You know, we know what the inflation rate's going to be. We can see every transaction. It's all in a global ledger. It was just, I became obsessed with figuring out cryptocurrencies and blockchains and how that could be integrated in various aspects of life. Wow. So what are the risks with Bitcoin? So as an investment, I never recommend people invest in Bitcoin. I don't see it as an investment product. You know, a lot of people do. A lot of people have made a lot of money. Some friends of mine started recommending Bitcoin at 25 cents and it's currently at $600, right? So you can imagine what type of profits they've seen. No kidding. But for the average person, I think that they should look at Bitcoin as just an alternative currency. You know, it's a competing currency, just like the dollar, the yen, the pound, the euro, Bitcoin. The difference between Bitcoin is that it is a decentralized currency. And where anyone can download a wallet or get access, it's kind of like email, right? Nobody owns email, right? You have like Google or you have Apple or you have Hotmail that give you access to the email protocol. Nobody owns Bitcoin, but you've got different wallets, Airbits, Mycelium, Coinbase, BitPay that give you access to the Bitcoin protocol. So the bottom up grassroots nature of Bitcoin really appealed to me when compared to the top down type of structured organization of typical national monies. Wow. All right. So let's talk about your podcast. What has that experience been like? Who are some of the people that you've chatted with on that show and what's going on there? Yeah. So I tend to talk to entrepreneurs, a lot of them digital entrepreneurs, right? because you know the digital space is much less regulated. There's a lot more freedom. Like I just built an e-commerce business, CryptoShirts.io, which I was able to build in three weeks. You know, I didn't have to get any permission or anything, but I speak with entrepreneurs who are successful entrepreneurs who have been in the game for a while, who can, who have advice to give young people or inexperienced entrepreneurs and try to show them their journey. You know, everyone doesn't need to make the same mistakes. And so if I can learn from your mistakes, that means I don't need to make those same mistakes. I can learn through philosophy instead of through suffering, right? Right. So I interview people like Aaron Walker from View from the Top, who he was at the podcast movie. Yeah, I know Aaron. That's where I met Aaron. I interviewed him on creating significance in your life from entrepreneurship. I've also interviewed a lot of the head guys in the Bitcoin space, Roger Veer, Trace Mayer. I interviewed Patrick Byrne of Overstock.com. You know, he's a very wealthy guy, very successful guy. And he was one of the earliest people to accept Bitcoin as payment for Overstock.com. So it's really, I'm tending towards digital entrepreneurs because I feel like we live in a digital nomad life now. I can go, I was just working at this table right over there in the internet connection with my laptop, right? That's awesome. I can move around anywhere. I hope to help people get that perspective of what it takes to be a digital entrepreneur and how to eventually start making your living doing it. That's smart. I love it. Okay, so you mentioned podcast movement, and I, I want to ask the question out of selfish reasons, yep. uh, primarily, but why, why did you go to podcast movement? What was that experience like for you? So when podcast movement came around, I had heard about it from Kate Erickson okay. on Entrepreneurial Fire. You know, shout out to Kate and John. Yeah, we love them. And I didn't know what it was. And I was only about 20 episodes into my podcast at the time. And I was like, you know, I got a lot to learn. I hadn't monetized it then. You know, I was still doing all my editing and I I felt a little bit disorganized. I didn't have a virtual assistant yet. So I was like, oh, what the heck? Chicago is a cool city. I want to be around podcasters. And I'm sure that there's a great networking opportunity there. Right. I absolutely loved the sessions. I learned so much. I mean, Pat Flynn, what a boss he is. Yeah, no kidding. All right. What an absolute all-star. 
Kate and John, their presentation was amazing. But the main thing, I mean, even though the presentations were excellent, I would say the best part of podcast movement was networking with other podcasters. And can I tell another story? Please do. Yeah. We were at a table like this. I was walking by. There was a a girl named Shannon who runs Martinis and Money. There you go. All right. (laughs) And there are three girls sitting down here talking on this podcast. And I walk by, you know, they're starting to drink a couple martinis. As they should be. (laughs) And and they're harassing me as I walk by, you know, and I'm I'm not a very shy guy. So there was an open mic like this. And I sat down. I start throwing it back at them, you know, just going back and forth. (laughs) And it turns out that they were FinCon people. And we're currently here at the FinCon conference. And they introduced me to the organizer of FinCon, Philip P.T., And it turns out because of the awesome networking opportunities at Podcast Movement, I was able to secure a speaking position at FinCon Conference. Man, that is fantastic. I love that. And uh, I think the topic is so interesting because FinCon is all about money, but there's never been someone speak at FinCon about Bitcoin. It's unbelievable. That is crazy. Yeah, it's like not only is Bitcoin and blockchains a technological breakthrough, but it's a financial breakthrough as well. It's Bitcoin was the first scarce good on the internet. It was, I like to give the example. If I send you a silly picture of a cat, you could send everyone at this conference a silly picture of the cat and you still got that silly picture of a cat, right? That's true. With Bitcoin, if I send you a Bitcoin, all of a sudden, I don't have that Bitcoin anymore. And if you send that Bitcoin to someone else, you don't have that Bitcoin anymore. So as the first scarce good, it, it really grabbed my attention and that's why it can be used as money. You know, I can't take a hundred dollar bill and buy that sweet jacket that you've got and then buy that bag that she's got with the same hundred dollar bill. That that was the internet that we lived in, right? Yeah. But now we live in an internet where scarcity, digital scarcity is an option. And to understand money as needing to be scarce and understanding the blockchain as a distributed, decentralized ledger that everyone has access to, it blew my mind in a financial sense to see that they hadn't had a Bitcoin speaker here. So I'm really excited to speak. You know, I think I've, I've been sourcing the crowd to see who's got knowledge about Bitcoin. And most people have only heard about it or maybe think that you only buy drugs or something like that with it. What they've heard on the establishment press. Sure. Right. But they're, uh, I think their eyes are going to be open. I think people here have a lot more in common with Bitcoin than what they ever think. Well, okay. So let, what, let's talk about your presentation that you're going to do here at FinCon. What, what's it going to be about? What can people expect from that? Yeah. So I'm going to introduce Bitcoin as an alternative, just a voluntary opt-in, opt-out currency alternative for people. I, you know, it's interesting that January 3rd, 2009, the big banks got their second round of bailouts at the expense of the taxpayer. Yeah. Right. We we can't opt out. We didn't vote on this. Right. We were just kind of put on the bill for this. Right. A lot of people here disapprove of those types of bailouts. Bitcoin was released the same day that the banks got their second round of bailouts because the creators of Bitcoin, and we don't know exactly who that is. You know, I think it was a group of people and they have the, the pseudonym. Satoshi Nakamoto. But whoever created Bitcoin isn't really important because it's all open source. Any of your listeners that have a computer science background can go and download 100% of the open source code and view every single line of code. And they can tell you if they trust it or not, right? But what Bitcoin did was it offered us a voluntary democratic form of money. You can opt in, you can opt out. Nobody's going to force you to do anything. You know, Melanie, she was a speaker yesterday. I can't remember her last name right now. I met her at Podcast Movement. Yeah, 16. yeah, Melanie uh, Locker. 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 Yeah. yeah, that's right. She posted something on Facebook the other day I really appreciated. She said, your money is your vote, even if you know it or not. If you hold a certain currency or you spend a currency in your daily life, you're giving that currency your approval, right? It's just with Bitcoin, you have the option to not spend it if you don't want to. You can opt out of it 
and go on about your way. Love it. Well, we're going to start to wrap up here. I'm really appreciative of you being willing to sit down and chat. Uh, let's talk about where people can find out what you're up to. Yeah. So the best place is my website, libertyentrepreneurs.com. You can find me on Twitter at Liberty E Podcast. I release a weekly interview with a different entrepreneur from around the world. You know, if you're looking to become an entrepreneur or you're curious about how you can create more individual freedom in your life, you know, tune in. There's plenty of good advice and plenty of good experience that you can learn from so you don't have to make the same mistakes as they did. Oh, well said. We always end with final thoughts. So what are your final thoughts? My final thoughts where I really appreciate podcast movement. You know, this is I haven't gone to a podcast movement conference before. It was my first year and just glowing remarks across the board. Not only were the speakers top notch, you know, the presentations were top notch, but the networking opportunities and the people there were top notch too. Thank you so much. Ash, I wish you well, man. It's great to have you here and I look forward to chatting with you again. Appreciate it. I would say the best part of podcast movement was networking with other podcasters.